When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I mean, if you could let me fight in a phone booth, I'd fight in a phone booth. The UFC now is, is pretty polished, right? Yeah. Very strategically designed. You know, back in the dark ages, we didn't have any of that. And it was a blast. You know, like the only things you couldn't do, you couldn't bite, you couldn't scratch, and you couldn't eye gouge. I think that was it. And not at each other in the nuts. Man, I, I think you could do that. <laughs> That is some rough reels, though. I've always said I'd love to do Pride reels, though. What's happening, everyone? Chat and Pony with Paddy the Baddy, back for a fresh episode. Got another belter guest, but just before I get him to introduce himself, yeah, everyone needs to remember, we aren't just on YouTube, we're also on Spotify and Apple Music as well. So if you just want to just listen to the audio version, you're more than welcome to. I know... YouTube's cool, like so as you get to see our faces, but it's also on there. Give it a like, have a little gander. But today, I've got a former UFC fighter and a, a lot of other things as well. So introduce yourself, Tim. Yeah, I mean, former is the operative word there. Got, <laughs> um, they, <laughs> there's lots of formers there. Uh, the the most insulting one is we say a fag. On, I think it means something totally different in lots of different worlds. In the military community, it means a former action guy, um, which means for a long period of my life, I was uh, in the special operations community. I'm a Green Bray sniper. Um, went to Ranger School and all the all the schools that you go to as a combat ams guy. You know, Iraq, Afghanistan, Africa, all of the things. Um, and while I was doing all that, I was fighting in the UFC. Um, got a bunch of black belts and, uh, you know, I fought for a couple of strike force world titles and I have one of the few distinctions in the strike force. And I loved fighting for strike force, which is that I fought for the world title a couple of times, but was never called a world champion. So that's humiliating. Um, you, you can't say formal world champion cause I never even made it. You know, I like just humiliated. Freaking you fall for it though. A lot of, a lot of people don't even get the chance to fight for it. You know what I mean? A lot of yeah. people don't even get that far. Yeah. Um, now I can say like a uh, former hair model, but looking at your hair, I mean, you're just popping right now. Look at that. Those locks. Do they, you don't, don't got to shit. Can you fight like that? How do you even fight? You look like, like one left hook and your vision's totally obscured. Yeah. It's um, when I fight, I get a cut about two weeks out so that the, I get the fringe made much shorter. So the it's not in my eyes. Oh yeah, you do that I mean? bang thing. I like I can't get cornrows, not just yet anyway. I might in the future, but it's too when I get a cut, it's too short to get them anyway. So I know what you mean though. When I've when I've watched a few fights back and like I've I've like two fights I've lost, I've looked at the scorecards and been like, How have I lost that round? And I've looked back and my hair going whew, whew, it looks worse. Yeah. It makes it look yeah. ten times worse. Yeah. Um, you're it, it, that's the worst to go back and look at things and you recognize just moments that were that were missed and lost and it is super frustrating um yeah and if hair is one of those moments yeah you you definitely have to reevaluate um <laughs> what you're doing with your stylist yeah well from that day i've always said when i have a very tough fight and i don't think i'm going to finish them i'm going to get cornrows but for now people are getting finished him 
That's just how it's happening. Oh, yes, you and that, that they are. You're, you're a fun fighter to watch. Um, I, I went the opposite route. I was I was the guy that Dana White would take into the locker rooms and be like, listen, guys, if if I see one more guy wrestle somebody to death, <laughs> Tim Kennedy, then, uh, you know, no bonuses for anybody. And it's like, Thank, thanks, Dana. This is this is great. Glad glad we did this. <laughs> you have a, probably a different relationship with him. He wanted to stab me. He wanted me to take his bald head and just put it through my chest. Uh, like put on an auto film. Yeah. But the way you said before, you I, said that you was fighting in the UFC and Psych Force and in the military at the same time. How how did you even do that? Not well. Um, I uh, I was always busted up in one way or another. Um, Man, the, the first time I fought for the Strike Force title, I had gotten back from Iraq. No, no, Afghanistan. I got back from Afghanistan like seven weeks um, before the fight. So I did a seven week fight camp and then I went and fought for the world title. Bad plan, super bad plan. Um, you know, and then like I got blown up a few times and I was always just a bad jump or, you know, like I was too close to a door when we were blowing the door up. So a little bit of overpressure. So I'd get concussed in the ring and then I'd get concussed at work. And then I'd go get concussed in the kickboxing. Um, then in the, you know, I was just like, Bleh. it was so lame. Yeah. I wish I was smarter. I should have played golf. You ever that, look at golfers and been like, man, they got it pretty good. They the freaking polo. <laughs> Even the clothes they're wearing. Even the clothes they're wearing, you've got a good. Yeah. But the one I always look at is darts. Yeah. Imagine oh, yeah. that's even better than golf, Tim. You haven't even got to walk 18 holes. No. Yeah. You just, you just got to stand up. plastic and metal at a rubber board. Exactly. All you do, you just throw it at a board. All you, you only need one good arm as well. That's all you need. So yeah. with your other hand, you can be drinking what you want, eating what you want, smoking what you want, and just good with that one dart. That's it. That's man, all you need. Yeah, man, you're you're wise for your age. Most Lad, impressed. Darting. That's that's the the one. It's crazy because I love fighting, but I love eating lots and lots of food. So like to to do what I love in fighting, I have to take away the other thing I love. So it, it it's a double edged sword for me, Tim. It's a double edged sword. Yeah, I don't know though. I think it makes you appreciate and enjoy one more. So in in. My my life, I've I've had these really um, extraordinary extremes, like on the spectrum of of what you can experience in life. Right? Sometimes I'm starving, I'm pooping in a bag, right? I'm I'm I haven't seen a girl in three, four, five, six months. Um, I'm getting shot at and blown up, and then the other extreme, you know, after you. Then to come back, I do a fight camp. I'm starving myself. I'm having to cut, you know, thirty, forty pounds, and then. Uh, the fight happens, then you got the after party and then you have the celebration and then you have like, okay, I'm going to take a month off from hard training just to let my body kind of get back in the groove. I'm also going to let my guts recover a little bit. So I'm not just eating the super strict diet. So we, we, we have these extremes and I think it makes us appreciate food, drink, life a little bit better, you know, um, because we have to deprive ourselves of so many things when we're trying to get ready for something that is so extraordinary and that moment to stand there as a champion, it makes it everything just that much sweeter. Yeah. Uh, that's what it, I think. It does. I, I think I appreciate my food a lot more now from when I started MMA to what I do now. Well, I know for a fact, a hundred percent that I do. You need to come to Texas. I want to cook for you. Oh, I'd, I'd love to come to Texas and eat, eat lots and lots of barbecue food. So yesterday I took a bone in, um, ribeye, 
uh, tomahawk. It's like this, I mean, it looks like, it looks like a freaking tomahawk, but it's a chunk of meat. I slow cooked it in the smoker for at 275 for two hours. Then I put it in a cast iron skillet that I got to be like super hot. And I pan seared it like in, in, in thick garlic butter. You know, it sounded like a sack of steaks, just like freaking out, you know, I flipped it. You only did it like 45 seconds on each side after it smoked for two hours, beautifully medium rare. You didn't even need a knife. You just cut it with a fork. Freaking delicious. Sounds like a bit of me as well. Medium rare. The only way that you can have it. The only way. Yeah. (laughs) I I immediately lose, lose respect for somebody when they're like, I'll take it medium well. I'm like, get out of my house. Leave. Take everything that you came with and go. Me and my friends have this argument in the group chat all the time. Some of my friends are like, oh, no, I don't want any blood there. I'm like, lad, you need a little bit of the juice. It's 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 nice. You know what I mean? They're like, no, well done, no blood. I'm like, lad, go away. Don't go for the steak with me. Yep, Patty, get new friends. That we got to go. <laughs> yeah. Yep, get them. Out. <laughs> See you after, boys. But um, something, yep. something I did read about you, Tim, what I need to ask you about, it's super interesting. You actually... Enrolled for the army on 9-11. Yeah. Enlisted yep. on that You're, day. How old were you? Were you alive? Yeah, I was I was six. I was a okay, proper baby. I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah. I was uh, I was in grad school uh when those planes smashed into those buildings. Um then the Pentagon got hit, then a plane crashed out in the middle of nowhere and nobody knew why. And we later find out that the, the men and women on that plane fought back and that plane, you know, w- was destined to hit another very strategic American target. And I was so frustrated. Um, I was so angry. I, I had to do something. And I, and I think a lot of young men feel that. And it's one of the many reasons I love martial arts um, because it, it can truly save your life. Um, I was at a place where I didn't have great outlets uh, and all of that anger and all of that dangerous masculinity needed to be directed at something. And thank God the army was, uh, where I landed, you know, definitely saved my life. Um, and on, you know, September 12th, I finally got to talk to a recruiter and that was the beginning of a couple year process to get into special operations. So everyone always talks about how hard it is to get into the special operations. What is some of the, obviously some of the things you can tell us, but what are some of the most rigorous tasks that you have to do to obviously become a special forces operative. Oh yeah, man. It's, it's a marathon. So when you get, um, the first, there are three, there are three huge attritters and you know, a tritter is the thing that makes people quit. Um, the first one for the 18 x-rays, the SF babies was a course called SOPC, S-O-P-C, special operations preparation course. We had almost 500 kids show up, to this preparation course to get them to get go to special forces selection. And of the 500, we sent 91 kids to selection. You know, the, the, the other 410 just went away, went to what the army needed them to go and do, which was not special operations. So 81% um, that is you know, so like 81% quit yeah. after the first one. Wow. Yeah. That must've been tough. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, the you know statistically they're they're looking around eight out of a hundred, um, you know the the green the song of the Ballad of the Green Beret, you know they uh, they they were pretty accurate when when they talked about the 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 final little percentage that finally gets selected. Then once you get selected, 
then the real training starts. Uh, by no means are you worthy to be anywhere. This all, all that they have said is that you are worthy for them to try to spend the time to teach you. And this is a, a, a two-year-long pipeline um, where, you know, you get starved, get slapped around in concentration camps. You learn how to use all weapons from all over the world. Um, you learn how to speak a different language. If you don't already speak a language, you learn um, the job of being a Green Beret. And then um, and then you get to your team. And then you really have to start learning because you, you recognize that you don't know anything. It's wild. So did you did you learn another language? Yeah, um, I, I had grown up in California, Spanish. Uh, now here in Texas, similarly, te- Texas and California have that in common. One of the very few things that they have in common is uh, there's a large Latino population here, and so a lot of people speak Spanish. On whether you're Mexican or of Latino yeah. descent or not, that's something I've always loved to do. I, I want to learn another language. It's just finding the time. It really is. Obviously, we're training yeah. all the time and fights and stuff. Hopefully, when I get a little break for a few months, I can give a little go to learn Spanish. Yeah, it's it's fun. It's it's uh, my whole you know all, my kids speak Spanish. Uh, my wife speaks Spanish. You know, we travel a lot to South America um, for work, and I just bring them with me. Uh, you know, it just opens up the world, and um, and and you get to appreciate so much more as we we're talking about food culture is, is part and infused with food. You know, you can't appreciate a food truly unless you appreciate that culture of that food. And similarly, I don't think you can like appreciate that food or that culture unless you understand the language, like even the language you, you learn so much about the people. And, um, I mean, hell, if you just love food, this might be your, your, this might be your motivation, Pat, Patty. This is, this is it. Just learn a language so you can appreciate food more. That is one of the reasons, to be honest, it is. And as you say, South America, South America is such a, a big continent and there's most, like most of the percentage there speak Spanish. You know what I mean? So it's it's a perfect language to learn because as you say, it's not just food, it's cultures, what you learn more about because I always say I feel a bit ignorant when I go places and I just expect people to speak English. You know what I mean? You feel you feel ignorant yeah. because you, you should at least try a little bit. So we do, but it, it it's very hard. I'd, I'd love to just be able to rattle it off and just start speaking a different language. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it just makes makes life so much more enriching. Uh, I, I just yesterday, my my seven year old, one of my friends was uh, was having a problem with somebody that was working at their house, and my seven year old just like pops in, he starts translating, you know, for, for these people, and I was like, God, this is awesome. My seven year old is tr- being a translator for a couple of grown adults that that can't even communicate something very simple. Um, it's just, it's so empowering. But yeah. uh, I mean, you kind of speak a different version of English. I, I have to pay attention very clearly to listen to your words. <laughs> You're right. Like a lot of people do say, like a lot of people comment on my YouTube and, and think I'm Irish. A lot of people don't even realize I'm English. They think, oh, he's Irish, but it's not. It's just Scouse. It's the way we talk. A lot of a lot of our own country can't really understand us. A lot of England don't understand us. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, I, I want you to like read books to me at night for me to go to sleep. Um <laughs> You know, Imagine or, or that. I, that I go join the NRA and you know, my yeah. voice on audible. Yeah, read all audible books to me. <laughs> that would be brilliant. But yeah, um, something else. Notice you started MMA before you even went to the army as well, didn't you? Yeah, this is the dark days. That's of what a, I mean. MMA the dark though. ages. It's, yeah, when, when we're like, hey, you were like ranked top ten in the world before you enlisted. I was like, yeah, but there's only like twenty three of us fighting. So 
that, you know, yeah, as, as like barely the top 50%. Um, and, uh, we're fighting on Indian reservations. You know, I'm going down to Tijuana to do bare knuckle fights. I'm fighting in ballroom floors in new Orleans. You know, there's just, there's just cardboard with rope rings and, uh, the winner gets like 50 bucks cash. And, uh, but then you'd like end up in the early, this is before there were all of these different MMA journalists, you know, before you had press conferences, like people were just fighting to fight. And what you wanted to know who is the best, um, not just fighter, but like, which was the art that was the most dominant form of martial arts. Now everybody trains everything back then you, like I would walk in, I'd see a dude stand like on car on guard, like queen of Marksbury rules. Like we're about to do a boxing match and, uh, you know, I do a blast double leg on him. And, uh, then the very next guy, he walks in, he looks like, Oh, it's Matt Lindland. He has huge chunky ears. He doesn't know anything about boxing, but don't let that dude have an underhook. Cause you're going to go for a ride. It was just, it was a wild time to be fighting. Yeah, that was when like it was style versus style, wasn't it? It was like a karate fighter would yep. get in against a judo fighter and then a jiu-jitsu fighter would get yep. in against a wrestler. But as you say now, we're all a hybrid of everything rolled into one because the sports develop so much. Like that's, as you say, that's like 22, 23 years ago, isn't it? I was like four, five. It was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my, th- my, my first fight was 25 years ago. Yeah, I was two. Yeah. Is that, is that 1997? You. <laughs> yeah. So 97, yeah. you had your first like, fight. So what was your record then when yeah. you enlisted to go to the Green Berets? Yeah, the, um, you know, everybody at, within special operations trains, you know, so Horse Gracie is coming in, uh, you know, doing seminars for the the combat arms guys. Uh, we had army combatives, which was a very early form of mixed martial arts. It was grappling based, but you know, if you think of like the military and MMA, and you were going to take MMA and make it lethal, you know, that's kind of what the combatives program would would do. We teach guys the basics of wrestling, the basics of boxing, the basics of jujitsu, the basics of stick fighting. Then we put them in their uniform, and then they would fight. Um, there's no better way to get somebody prepared for fighting any form of fighting than just fighting. And, um, you know, that kind of warrior ethos would be developed and that they'd learn that they have to sweat and they have to bleed to get good at this thing. And, um, you know, so there were, there was a lot of crossover between the characteristics that you want within the special operations community and those that naturally exist within an elite level fighter. Yeah. You're not wrong there. I think that even the, the mental toughness, I always say to people, oh, yeah. people think this sport a, a physical sport, and it is, it, but I think it's like 80% mental. The battle, the battles won't up here before you get in the cage. Yeah, the, you're 100% right there. And, and the only way that you can have that mental toughness is th- through going through hard, tough training. You know, where you have that confidence to walk into the octagon as you're, you know, you're walking down, the lights are on you, you know, there's some smoke and there's all these crazy things. People are screaming your name and, um, like you, you're blurring all of that out and you're just looking at that black cage. That's, that's just bright, so bright and all the lights that are shining on it. And there's a calmness inside of you, an utter confidence that you're going to steamroll that dude. You know, like I'm just, I'm going to do exactly what I plan to do. I know exactly how this fight's going to go. And, you know, they're going to, they're going to talk about 
how dominant this fight was for me. Um, that's the confidence that you bring in there. And the only way that that exists is through like hard, hard training. Yeah, it is the only way you do it. Is you know you haven't left any stone unturned before you've got into the cage. You've you've nearly made yourself quit in training. That's how hard you've trained, and you know you won't quit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but something I did want to ask you. You might even be able to answer this. I'm not sure, but if you've ever used like any of your jujitsu moves or wrestling moves or anything in like close quarters combat when you have been on a mission. Oh, and, for sure. And yeah, and ended someone with it though. Yeah, exactly. no, um, you know, fighting and training, it's a superpower. Like when yeah. you, you can, t the things that we can do to other people, especially untrained people, just think about this. There's 7 billion people on the planet and there's less than 0.01% that you and I can walk up to and do, we can do anything to that person that we want to. And there's nothing <laughs> that they can do to stop us. How wild is that? Right. You know, like. 6.999 billion people cannot stop us from doing what we want. That's how powerful martial arts is to, a, to somebody that trains frequently. And then you take that to the combat world where you know, like I walk into a room and maybe the, the person in that room, it's a bad person's house. Um, that person shouldn't be there. Their hands are not up, but they're coming at me. I'm not going to shoot them because I don't want to shoot an on person. It's like, how do I not get this person killed? And how do I protect my team at the same time? You know, I'm going to immediately dig, dig for underhooks. I'm going to make sure that they don't get any weapons into their hands. I'm going to be isolating individual arms, get them behind their back so I can zip tie them. Like these are all very basic jujitsu moves, you know, like pummeling for underhooks. Like you learn that day one of wrestling or day one of Muay Thai. And, uh, and yeah. that is a basic thing that you have to do while you're doing CQB. Yeah, I always think like, literally all you have to do is stand in front of someone and go out and arm drag them. And they'd, they'd be like, what the, what's he just done? You know yeah. what I mean? You'd arm drag them and take the back and have them in a body lock and they'd be like, whoa, what, where, how has he just got behind me? Yeah, it's like a fart in the wind. You just disappeared from in front of them and you did yeah. the most basic <laughs> move, an arm drag. You know, and and now you're behind them, and you can do anything that you want to them. Um, you know, they're yeah, a, a I, I didn't even bad. Uh, often an arm drag went into kind of a kimura and put a guy's face against the wall that was fighting. Um, you know, like ended up busting up his face and breaking his arm. You know, when you do things in 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 violent speed against untrained people, it is a very very powerful powerful tool. As you say, especially when the person doesn't know what they're doing and. They move their arm in the wrong position, literally a split second, and it's gonna it's gonna snap. Yep. They don't realize that because they're thinking, "Oh, I'm just gonna fight against it. I'm just gonna fight against it." Yeah, yeah. I, I pity them a little bit. That I'm also like, "You dummy!" Like, <sighs> <laughs> so be. I just always like being in the army. It's just something personally. I I wouldn't have the balls to do. You know what I mean? I just. I just wouldn't have the balls to do it, lad. I'm not going to a different country to get shot at. You, I think you'd be surprised. Got some cojones, Tim. Um, I think uh, like let, let's just juxtaposition here and and superimpose that we we travel back in time. You we travel back in time 85 years, and um, you you hear about your cousin and your uncle that were stuck on the beaches of Dunkirk. Right. And like had the whole entire island not mobilized and every person that owned a 
boat sailed across the channel to rescue all of the soldiers, they all would have died. Then those soldiers come back and you hear about these people, these Jews that are being isolated into these ghettos, and then they're just disappearing. You don't know where they're going, but you're hearing about it. And then, um, and then you hear like, maybe they're gassing them. And then, and these people that are being gassed, the Germans that are doing it, maybe they're going to hop on boats and come across the channel. Oh, now they built rockets and they're slamming into London. Now they're talking about um, blitzes every other every other weekend, where bombers are just coming, dropping bombs on on your neighbors' houses. I think you'd be surprised what you would, what the courage that you would be able to um, muster. Fortunately, we're living in really great times. You know, fortunately, yeah. you can be a professional athlete. But you know that could change in a heartbeat, um, and uh, and I I, I use um, Cowboy Cerrone as a great example. You know the dude's never been in the military, uh, but I've I've trained with him. He's been a teammate for a long time, and that guy would be so freaking scary in a war zone. I I would have to stop him from committing <laughs> war crimes. You'd be like, no, no, cowboy, you cannot burn this whole village to the ground. I'm sorry. You know, Carlos Condit, um, another, another just like super chill, relaxed dude. That guy goes to combat. That dude would be freaking frightening. Um, you know, the, 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 like I said, the characteristics that exist as an elite athlete, like you are, those are the same characteristics that we look for when we're trying to select people to come to special operations. You know, you're focused, you're athletic, you are intelligent, um, you're disciplined, you can live with a regiment, but you can also break the rules. Um, these, these, these are really admirable characteristics that push comes to shove. I think you'd surprise yourself. Yeah, that definitely surprised myself. As you said, but my generation was far too pampered. You know what I mean? We've got it nice. It's I know what you mean. Nowadays, you don't have to worry about much. You know what I mean? We have, we've got a pretty nice our generation and it's because of all them generations before us that we need to thank really, but everyone forgets. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you've heard this cycle where good times create soft people, soft people create hard times, hard times create yeah. hard people, hard people create good times. And this kind of like never ending yeah. cycle I don't know where we're at in this cycle, but historically it's been proven pretty true. Um, we've had some really, really good times and we have a pretty soft generation. Uh, and there, there's pockets of the world that are having some really, really hard times. And I hope it stays really isolated, you know, but, but I also hope that this generation realizes how fortunate they have been and how protective, protective, the world is that they exist in and, um, and not to be entitled to not be complacent, you know, I hope. No, I agree with you completely there. And I am part of that generation a little bit saying that I'm not, cause I'm not a millennial. You know what I mean? I was born in 95, so I'm not a millennial, but I'm, I'm close to that. I remember VCRs. I remember having to rewind the video. All right. All it, right. It, and it starts at the end. You know what I mean? So I'm not that young. <laughs> just barely dodged the bullet but yeah but where we touched on it there obviously you said about like the Nazis and stuff what was it like doing the program hunting Hitler because I've watched a couple of episodes of it and watched so many little clippets and stuff like that and that must have been some incest and stuff right there man it was so fun um the it was wild I was I was doing kind of active military overseas operations and I was still fighting and uh, my phone rings and 
this production company says, Hey, Tim, um, we're looking for somebody that can fly a drone. Can you fly a drone? I was like, yes, sir. I can. Um, do you know how to use ground penetrating radar? I was like, yeah, that's, we, we used it all throughout Afghanistan to, to hunt, hunt the Taliban. Like, okay. That's good. That's good. You speak Spanish. I was like, yeah, Porsche Puesto, you know, traveled to South America about half a dozen times now. And they're like, um, okay. Have you ever hunted people? I was like, just my entire adult life. This is literally all that we've ever done. That's my is, job. Is hunted Al Qaeda and the Taliban. And uh, like, fantastic. What we'd like you to do is hunt Nazis. Can you do that? And, and the hardest part of all of this was hiding my erection because I was so freaking <laughs> excited that I, like, they are asking me to go and hunt Nazis. I was, uh, so, I was beyond pumped. <laughs> yeah. Oh, what a shout that was. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. But, um, I've had a look into some of stuff like that, eh? like the, What's his name? Joseph Mangalev and stuff like that. I've seen you doing like, little bits on him because his body actually got found in the end, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Evil bastard. I mean, like, so yeah. J- Joseph Mengele, the one of the most evil humans to ever walk the face of the planet, he would, t- he would take needles with blue ink in them and he would inject them into Jews' eyes to see if they, he could change the eye color to blue. He would torture twins. He was called the angel of death. He would go to these the yeah, concentration camps and he would torture family members to see if other family members could feel the pain. He wanted to see where thresholds of pain was, how fast you could recover from burns, chemical burns, um, you know, just such an evil dude. And this guy escapes the Nuremberg trials. He makes it to South America and he dies of old age. I, I physically held his marriage certificate in my hand. I physically went to the houses that he lived in. I, I talked to his descendants, you know, like this, one of the most evil humans to walk the face of the planet. Like there are still ripples of, of the influence that he had. And, uh, man, I just want to wipe those ideas off the face of the planet and uh and you know any, any bit of of those, those homicidal maniacs those freaking psych- psychopaths i want to find them and bury them and and their ideas the whole world would like to as well to be honest one yeah. funny thing from it though when some i've seen a clip of someone speaking to you about it and they, they turn to you and go did you find hitler then yeah that, yeah. <laughs> that made me laugh to be <laughs> honest that really made me laugh <laughs> Yeah, I, oh. for me to like be confident, you know, obviously the show is called Hunting Hitler and, and we historically tried to show how Nazis got out, how Nazis escaped, how maybe um, Hitler got out. You know, in the, um, in the end, the one thing that I know for certain is that his ideas got out and those are the things that we still have to be so diligent to squash and to erase off the, and to, to eradicate off the face of the planet. Yeah, exactly. Couldn't have put it better myself, to be honest. Said that perfectly, but also saying that we've hardly even talked about any MMA, have we? Like no, not very much. Strike force before. No, we haven't even spoken about it in the MMA. But yeah, as you say, you were fought for strike force, and I can remember at the time when I was first starting getting into MMA, that was like the big promotion that was rivaling the UFC. You know what I mean? That was the one promotion that was getting a little bit of bit of steam behind it, and even I started watching it when I first got into MMA. That's how I first got introduced to you, to be honest, Tim, from a, a Strike Force card years and years ago. Yeah, I mean, they put on a great show. Scott Coker was the, uh, you know, was the Dana White of Strike Force, and um, I, I loved fighting in rings. I loved fighting. Um, and man, if you could let me fight in a phone booth, I'd fight in a phone booth. I just, I, I loved fighting, not in this kind of like 
as the, it, the UFC now is, is pretty polished, right? Yeah. That with the cage, it's it's to keep people standing. You know, we got little lips that are at the very end that you can slide your foot in, so um, it it makes it a little bit harder to finish a takedown. Um, all of these things are very strategically designed. You know, back in the dark ages, we didn't have any of that. You know, like maybe it was a three rope ring, maybe it was a five rope ring. You know, maybe it was a tiny little octagon. Maybe um, you know, like. Maybe we're just we're 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 in an open floor like during the Pancrase era. You know, like we weren't in rings, we weren't in cages. We were just like in a big wrestling mat, and it was a blast. There was no uh, like when I fought Jason Mayhem Miller and in that eight man tournament with Dennis Kang, and um, it was it was fun. Uh, let's see, Holman Chuck Liddell's in my corner. Um, Jeremy Horn is one of the coaches, and you could knee a downed opponent. You could kick a downed opponent. You could soccer kick a downed opponent. Um, you could do north, south, like 12 to six elbows to anywhere. Um, you know, like the only things you could, you couldn't do, you couldn't bite, you couldn't scratch and you couldn't eye gouge. I think that was it. And not hit each other in the nuts. Man, I, I think you could do that. <laughs> yeah, you could do that. That is some rough rules that, Dude, is this I would fighting? love to be able to. You know? I, I've always said I'd love to do pride reels though, with elbows like. But I'd love to do pride reels just to see what it because it changes the whole game around, doesn't it? Knees from the north south position, kicks on the floor, stomps. It does. It changes the whole game, changes every aspect of it. And you fought that. So what? What's it like? <laughs> it's so fun. It's like it's a freaking fight, you know. Um, the, you know, as as MMA is now, it's it's curated to make it palatable to everybody. But it was so raw. It was so visceral. You know, it was so, um, it felt uncontrollable. And that was one of the favorite parts about it is like, you're, you're riding the lightning. You know, like I'm hopping on the biggest bull on the planet. I'm wrapping my hands and this thing is going to have a cattle prod stuck, stuck up its butt and we're going to go. Like, that's what it felt like. Um, and, uh, and, and back to that spectrum of the elation of victory and the pain of defeat, it, it it was just so surreal to be in these extra, um i'm saying extraordinary i don't know some of them weren't extraordinary some of them were dungy gross sweat filled you know there's like you know you know when a bar dumpster behind the like the the dumpster water that comes out from behind a bar what that smells like behind a pub yeah yeah it's like the worst Dizzy. smell ever i fought in places that smelled like that you're underneath the bar. You can smell all the old alcohol. You can smell these drunk dudes smoking their cigarettes and, you know, they're throwing money at, at as they're making get bets and gambles. You know, there's just like coarse hemp rope going around a cardboard covered floor. That's mostly covered in blood. And there's a dude standing across from me. I know nothing about, I have no idea if he's a wrestler, a boxer, a karate guy, a judo guy. I have no idea. Um, you know, like I'm trying to see, does he have cauliflower ears? I'm trying to see like if he's dropping his shoulder forward, like he's going to be a Southpaw boxer. I'm just trying to like elicit any, any clues I can as to how this fight's going to go. And then they say fight. And then you fight. It's so fun. <laughs> it must honestly be like having a fight with someone off the street. But someone that you know is confident in themselves that they can actually fight. Yeah, it, it's exactly nowadays what it is. we get like, yeah, we get breakdown videos of our opponents, and we get to see all sorts of different archive footage. We have to know what we're expecting, 
with that with you yourself, you were going into the unknown. Yeah. Yeah. I, and it's, you know, it's, it's fun now to, to see these elite athletes, you know, as your study tape and, you know, as you go out there and you put on the performances that you've been putting on, they're so exciting because you can see all of the hard work in your training camp, you know, and your game plan being executed in real time. That's awesome. But there's also something about, you know, there's the Vanderlei Silva that we saw fight in the UFC, boring, diluted. And then we saw the Vanderlei Silva that fighted in pride, you know, like we're sitting there rub- rubbing his knuckles like this, you know, his forehead is coming over his eyeballs. His steroid out neck is just, his veins are bulging. He looks like he's like, for the love of God, nobody throw a weapon in the ring because he will take it and murder everyone. His name is the ax murder. And then the fight starts and he's head stomping dudes. He's soccer kip kicking dudes. They're shooting singles. You know, dudes arms are getting broken. Freaking what's awesome. Awesome, awesome. It is. I I don't normally use the word awesome, but Sim, you're right. That is awesome. It is. So, what do you think of the sport? The way it's developed, then obviously, do you think it's a? In some ways, you think it's a good thing. In some ways, you think it's a bad thing. Yeah, um, I'm I'm I miss I miss the lightning and the excitement of the unknown. Um, but I love the level of athleticism and the type of athletes that are currently fighting. You know, like these are the most elite athletes on the planet. I don't care what sport you're talking about. When you're talking about a top 10 in a division, these are the most elite humans. Yeah, you could you could figure out any measurement, whether it's, you know, cardiovascular, it's their strength, it's their hand-eye coordination, um, it's their timing, it's just the perfection of the art. Any one of those individual measurements, I, I think you'd be able to pose a pretty good argument that these are the most elite athletes on the planet. Um, so there's that's really cool. And the exciting finishes that we're seeing now um, and how competitive it is at the top, you know, like the top five guys on any given day could beat each other depending on who's perfectly ready for that moment. I love that about this current version of the sport. Um, you know, and, and I think it's just the, the old violent geezer in me that misses the, the uncontrollable rawness. Yeah. It, it, as you say, it was special back then because it was raw and it was, you didn't know what you was expecting. It was the unknown, but now it's just a different level of athlete. Like it's ridiculous. Like back in the day, you'd see mismatches on cards. Nowadays in the UFC, have every fighter very, very well matched fight, and yeah. you don't really see any more gimme fights. No, and, and, and there's not as a matchmaker. Um, you know, Shelby could look at a, a, a card and. Uh, stylistically you used to be able to like match guys where I'm going to take a good wrestler that has really good dominant jujitsu and I'm going to pair him up with a guy that has bad takedown defense. And I know who's going to win, you know, um, or I take the striker, the Chuck Liddell type that has great takedown defense. He has super heavy hands and I'm going to put him against the jujitsu guy that doesn't have takedowns. I know the Chuck's just going to knock him out. And you know, like that's, it gets so predictable in that era. Now everybody's good at everything. You know, um, and you don't know if if uh, a submission is going to happen any moment, if a knockdown, a knockout is going to happen any moment. Uh, it's it's just another amazing thing about this era of of mixed martial arts. It's you, a guy can win a fight any way, any time, and it's awesome. Yeah, it is. You're not wrong. If, if you've got any favorite fights of you, of you from your time, then any any stand out. Uh. Hodger Gracie, you know, at the time, you know, he, he, he was recognized as the best grappler on the face of the planet. And, um, 
in jujitsu, in gi, in no gi, in MMA. And, um, you know, he's, he's, he's the, the Gordon Ryan of the time. Yeah. And, uh, Dana White was complaining about grapplers. He wanted to see more stand up knockouts. So he pairs me against Hodger Gracie. And I think every betting person on the planet would be like, all right, Tim is going to sprawl and punch. You know, Tim is going to keep the fight on his feet and uh, look to just neutralize Hodger's takedown and, uh, you know, just use his heavy hands. Um, instead, I just take him down and I just smash him. Um, and uh, and I was doing it not, and I love Hodger. He's, he's one of my, I, one of the greatest to ever do it. And I, I value him so much, but I was trying to send a message to Dana to be like, don't tell us how to fight. You know, until you come out here, um, you're making so much money off of all of us. You, you, you stay up there, make your money and let us fight. Um, so that, that one was sweet. And then, uh, Michael Bisbing, he and I had a beef for a long time. And, uh, I, I really, 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 really wanted to beat the brakes off of him. And then I got to fight him and, uh, beat the brakes off of him. So that was good. Yeah. That one feel good for you. As yeah. an American as well, beating a Brit. Ah, yeah. I mean, there's a little bit of that. Like, uh, yeah, but not very much. It was more more personality. I and I get along with everybody, but yeah, he he and I just wanted to. I just wanted him to bleed. Yeah, I've I've spoke to Mike myself about this though, because I am um, when Mike was a fighter, I never really used to, to like him to be honest when he was fighting. But now he's retired and he's an analyst. I do I really like him. I watch his stuff and that. But when he was actually a fighter, I didn't really like his personality. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, but I mean, he did it right though. You know, he, he could sell himself as the villain, but uh, no matter no matter how much I, I might've disliked him as a person, man, what a tough fighter. You know, his career, yeah. um, you know, when he knocked out Luke Rockhold to become the champion, um, you know, every, everybody thought he didn't have a chance. And that clubbing hook is beautiful. Um, and uh, even when he and I fought, I hit that dude with like 170 something significant strikes. Um, I took him down more times in one fight than he had been taken down in his whole entire career. And, uh, you know, I pinned him up against the cage and just like, just brutalized him. And every single moment in the fight, he tried to get back into the fight to win. You know, there's, there's, I have broken guys souls so fast in a round in minutes, but that guy, um, came back and back and back and back and came back and came back and came back and came back. So I could talk all the smack I want, but ultimately I got a, what a tough dude. What a great, a real fighter. Yeah, that's it. Real fighter. He's a warrior. Like, so is there anything, anything you miss about MMA then? Like that's strike force, the UFC, anything you, you miss? Yeah. The, uh, like I still train really, really hard. Um, yeah, I, I just got done with a room full of, I think we had five or six world champions, um, you know, in, in Austin now in Austin, Texas, it's kind of the, it's, it is the best grappling on the planet. You know, you, you have the new wave, John Danaher team here with Gordon, um, Giancarlo Bedoni, Nick Mergalelli, um, Satoshi Ishii. And then you have the B team with, um, Nicky Rodriguez and Craig Jones and, uh, um, little, little Rod, Nicky's brother. Um, and then you have Rodrigo Cabral with, um, Brazilian fight factory. And then you have Shonji Ribeiro with six plates jujitsu. Then you have Gracie Omaida. Um, I mean, like, 
I literally just named the four best gyms on the planet, and they're all in Austin. And then in each of those gyms, you have like the top one through five in each of those gyms. So the top 50 grapplers on the planet, 40 of them are now in Austin. And uh, it sucks. It sucks for the ego. <laughs> um, it sucks for my body, but they're, uh, whew. yeah, it's tough. Yeah, you must, uh, in a room, with, when Gordon Ryan's in the room, you know, you just, you know you're not the best there, so you've got to just bow your ass. <laughs> I, I don't have that in me, Matt Patty. I want, I want, I want someday to be able to be like, all right, he's better. I don't have that. What I have is, I'm going to try and beat him as hard as I can, and I'm not going to give an inch. And then when I lose, I am in, I'm in denial of why I lost. That's what I'm. That's how dumb I am. Just, just so you can truly understand the stupid man that's across from you. Um, I I'm just, the same, lad. I, I I hate losing anything. It anything losing a game of dominoes would make me very angry. <sighs> I I don't. I hate losing anything. It it gets to me. Cards, yeah. game of cards, game of snap. I'm like, so and like that's why I have, I have to trade as hard as possible because any I, I can't. I hate losing. As yeah. you're the same, obviously. You know what I mean? It, it you're not just sacrificing like getting in the cage losing to look bad you go to other countries and actually fight for your life you know what I mean and save other people's lives yeah um, but fighting has there's there's a magic about fighting there's something special uh, and, and, and that's what I miss I don't miss um, the fight itself actually I miss the preparation I miss miss the camaraderie of the of the fight team. I miss the intimacy with the coaches. I miss, um, you know, I mean, I miss the ice baths. I miss like, no, I don't want to get in that. I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm too skinny. I've cut too much weight. Um, I know I just did three sessions today, uh, but I don't want to do it. And the coach is like, just get, stop, stop being a coward. Just get in the ice bath and stop bitching, please. And they're like, fine, fine, fine. I'll do it. Then you get in there and you're like, and you get out like, ah, I feel so much better. Okay. We'll train again tomorrow. You know? And uh, like, those are the moments that I miss. Uh, and I miss the edge. I, I miss that. I, I, I have the competition itch and I've had it really bad for a while. Um, I just don't have the time right now. Life, life is wild. Yeah. Well, as you say, life is wild. Just, Last year, you were part of a four-man evacuation team, wasn't you? Can you tell us about that? Because that sounds like some interest right there. Yeah, yeah, in- interesting. Like some of the worst moments of my life. Um, so everybody remembers when Afghanistan was falling, when the American the American military was leaving, the Taliban, every inch that the Americans relinquished control over was then immediately controlled by the Taliban. And... Um, as the Americans moved closer and closer into the capital city, city of Kabul, specifically to the Hkaya, the the Hamid Karzai airport, um, that was like the last little bastion of American-controlled territory, and that was also the only place that, if you were going to leave Afghanistan, that you would be able to evacuate out of. The Taliban so quickly took control of the ground. There was. I don't know who told the American government that the Amer- the Afghan military would be able to hold off the Taliban. Um, clearly, they could not and did not. So 
as every inch was given back to the Taliban, it was never controlled by the, the Afghan military. That might have been the plan all along. Who knew? So what everybody saw was C-17 airplanes taking off with people holding on to the landing gear onto the wheel wells and then falling to their death. You know, people hanging on to the, the airplane wings, hoping that as the plane took off, they'd be able to like hang on to a plane that's traveling hundreds of miles an hour. It's insanity. Um, and uh, it was so bad that the Afghan and Americans that were trapped in Afghanistan, you know, they're, tr- they're trying to like hand infant childs over the wall through Constantina wire to save these babies' lives before the Taliban took control of Kabul. So myself and three other guys flew into Kabul to, as part of this organization called Save Our Allies. And this, uh, I'm actually wearing their shirt right now. Um, this, we were backed by a group of, of eight other special operations people that were, you know, in Middle Eastern countries that were, and then some of them were, were in Washington, D.C. So every time that an ally of of America was trapped, they would contact, whether it was Department of State or Department of Defense, or maybe they were texting a friend, being like, hey, man, I'm trapped. How do I get out? You know, um, to include Americans, that would come to us, and then we would go out and find them and bring them onto this military base to this airport, and then put them on one of the American planes to fly out safely before the Taliban found them and killed them. Um, you know, we operated on the ground for the, the last 10 days of the the operation of of the, they called a NEO, a non-combatant evacuation operation, uh, which is usually done by the military. In this case, it was kind of done by Department of State and volunteer organizations, which is not ideal. It's a really bad plan. And um, we moved uh, 17, we moved thousands, thousands of people in the time that we were there. So you basically went and done a mission behind enemy lines. Yeah, to to find Americans and our allies and, and rescue them before the Taliban found them and murdered them. No, Taliban yeah, that, sucks. That's unbelievable, to be honest. Oh yeah, the Taliban. Yeah, I've never even met the Taliban or know anything of them. No, I hope you've killed a lot of them, Tim. Yeah, this is true, but you were spot on. <laughs> the Taliban. No. Yeah, them, but um. On a lighter note, before we move on to the Ask Paddy segment, uh, I, I let the guests know. I mean, I let people know that I want what guests I'm going to have on. So I've got a few questions for you there. Okay. But we haven't touched on it yet. And I need to ask you, what's it like being a best-selling author? It's weird. It's weird. <laughs> um, yeah. It's it's so it's it's bananas, dude. It's like the bonk. It's, it's totally bonkers that somebody comes up and they knows they know where I was born, they know who my friends were when I was a kid, they knew that um you know I knocked a couple of chicks up and I thought I had AIDS, you know they knew that I like went for a swim in the I ocean. Never knew that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Butt ass naked after after an orgy with a bunch of ring girls, um you know they like they know all this. That's a really weird thing just for people to know. Uh, those are things that usually kind of keep a close hold. Um, not, 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 not in this era. Um, so it's weird, you know, and then like senior, senior face on billboards and, you know, in New York times square, it's, it's weird. It's weird. I don't know how else to describe it. It's odd. Is that it must be amazing. No writing a book. Like that's something I've, in the future, I can see me doing, but it's going to be very hard. I think I'm, I might be too stupid to write a book. I've thought. No, man, you, you, you you write from the heart, first of all. You know your your post fight interviews. I I love it when you speak from the heart and uh, you move people. 
and uh, and having a writing perfect becomes less important than what you have to say. And I think what you have to yeah. say, that's the thing that people are going to always gravitate towards. And then everything else, like if, if, if I'm looking at your grammar, Patty, and being like, all right, well, he should have used a semicolon there, not a comma. Um, I, I'm, and I'm missing the reason that you're writing. The problem's not you. The problem's me. You know? Yeah, I completely get where you're coming from there. It's, it's the meaning of the words, not how it's written. Yeah. You have to, you have to record the audiobook though. Oh yeah, definitely. I'd be, so I'd I can do be, the I'd audio book. To listen to your words. What the f- did he just say? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny the way you say that, Tim. Because whenever I put a post up on Instagram or anything like that, whenever I put a post up, or I, there's always several comments. Did you read this in Paddy's voice? <laughs> People d- read stuff in my voice in their own head. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to do it from now on, for sure. <laughs> the Americans love the Scouse accent, like, they do, they love it. Yeah, the, uh, but yeah. you should write a book. I, I highly recommend yeah. it. Definitely. In the future, I can see myself doing one, like, but for now, I'll stick with me, me YouTube, me vlogs and stuff. Yeah. I, I don't think I've got enough and time on me to write. Yeah, that's it. But, as I say... Move on to the Ask Paddy segment. A few, a few people have asked questions in for you. So, straight away, we've got one from Infinite Existence. Nice nice name. Asks, hey Tim, what's the biggest improvement you've seen in the sport of MMA since you began your career? Thank you for your service and God bless. Um, well, thank you for thanking me for my service. I love what I do. Um, and I, God has blessed me. Uh, the biggest improvement I think is the versatility of the athletes, the way that, um, you know, the, the one trick pony, that guy's gone. Now you guys, you, you have really, really high level black belts, level grapplers in every single fighter. And you have, you have strikers that could go to Thailand and compete in Muay Thai at a very high level. And you have guys that could go and compete in just traditional boxing at a very high level. And you have, I mean like that, that's how true, truly talented these athletes are across all of these different disciplines. And I think the versatility of all of them makes them that makes it the thing that is the most improved and the most, and the most beautiful thing about our sport is how versatile each of these guys are to put somebody to sleep in so many ways. Yeah. Yeah. You're right there. The the level now is just, it's ridiculous. And as you yeah. said, you've been fighting since 1997. So the improvements, what you see must just be ridiculous. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. Next, next question uh, from Eric Hashem. Oh yeah, the first bit about me. My wife and I love everything Paddy here in the US and are super proud of you and all your accomplishments. Look forward to seeing your journey with you for many years. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Part two, my question is, what does Tim think about Dana White promoting the Slap Championship? And if celebrities are involved, who would be your super fight? Oh, dude, I think they're hilarious. The Some of my, my favorite... um they have like these super cute chicks that go up there and you, um, and they go up and they're like, they slap each other. And, and I'm like, that's pretty anticlimactic. I got it. Really pretty people <laughs> don't know how to slap other people. But then you see like these just gnarly dudes with these gross beards and they got cauliflower ears and their shoulders are like hanging <clears throat> over their, their clavicles. And you're like, 
God, I can't even. I can't even watch this guy slap. Okay, I'm gonna watch though. I can't watch. I'm gonna watch. Okay, okay, okay. And boom! And like the chalk flies and spit flies through the air, and the dude just like goes catatonic and falls over asleep. I'm like, God, that was a great slap. Um, I would, uh, if I could f- slap anybody. I don't know. One of the Kardashians, maybe. You know, just somebody really easy. Because I said I'd never get hit in the head for money again. But I, I don't know. I'd let one of those those little hotties smack me because it wouldn't hurt. And then I know I could put them to sleep. That's what It's crazy, isn't it? When you're watching it and you see a dude smack another dude, like slap and they go asleep. It's like, that. that's crazy. Going to sleep with that's a big crazy. forearm. Yeah. It's crazy. But um, next question. Cast, cast. Question for Tim. Is your enthusiasm part of your character slash personality or is it something you force to make sure you stay positive? It's very contagious and wish I were more enthusiastic about life in general. Yeah, that's that's a that's a tough question. It's a really good question. Um, I see a lot of really, really dark stuff. Um, you know, in, in Afghanistan, I saw babies die in Constantina wire. I saw little kids burn to death. Um, you know, I've been to war enough times where I have seen the worst thing that humans can do to other humans in the most efficient way possible. Um, it is a conscious decision for me to stay energized and positive because it's a slippery slope on the other side. You know, you start making little decisions. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to smoke. I'm going to drink. I'm not going to sleep tonight. You know, I'm not going to hang out with my wife. Okay. I'm not going to travel. Um, I'm going to cheat on her. You like that. Every single one of those decisions start compounding. It becomes easier to make a yet worse decision. And then you're standing there. You got a, a bottle that you just smoked, you know, um, some other stuff that you just smoked. And, uh, there's, there's some aspirin, a lukewarm bathtub and, uh, and some razor blades, you know, or, or heaven forbid a gun sitting across from you. And, you know, and, and it's, you can see this very clear trajectory of these small decisions that were made early. And then ultimately this very desperate moment that you might be in. Um, so I am, uh, you know, it's not a shtick. I, I am this way. Um, I work out hard every single day. Um, I go to work and I do my job well every single day. I eat clean food. I very rarely drink. Um, I never smoke. You know, I make love to my wife every single day. I hang out with my kids every single day. I go hunting as often as I can. I do all of these little things that build up. So when these dark moments happen, like I can talk about it to friends. I could talk about it to my family. You can get on a podcast, talk to top Patty about it, you know, and, and, um, and I'm not this wreck of this broken person. Um, I have damage, but I'm not broken and I'm not broken because I'm still in the fight because I'm still trying to make improvements. I'm still trying to commu- contribute to my society and to my community and to my tribe. And, um, and I can't do that if I'm broken. Yeah. I love it. The way you just put it, to be honest, Tim, I love that. Like, a lot of people always message me and ask me, like, how do you keep getting through stuff with your, with mental struggles and stuff like that? And as you say, you just got to stay positive, stay confident in yourself, stay positive, and nothing can ever get you down. But yeah, I just good man, two Patty. more questions now, anyway. Okay. Yeah, you know, you're a good... <clears throat> oh, Jesus. You're a good man, Tim. Don't say I'm a good man. The stuff that you do for people, lad, it's amazing. You know what I mean? Sometimes, Going into other countries and I'm saving really people. <laughs> we've all got a dark side yeah. 
But uh, yeah, two more questions. Uh, Dustin Kilburn asks, I've always been intrigued with the training provided by the US military. Do you have any experience that stands out during that time for one reason or another? I mean, the, the thing that always stands out is the people that are to my left and right. The men and women that wear the flag on their shoulder, uh, like, they volunteer to be there. And then they, they have put themselves through indescribable suffering to better prepare themselves to be standing there. Uh, to, to go out and to to be the most lethal fighting force on the planet to go and win our our nation's wars, like that is not possible without the men and women that serve within the military, and uh, we have the most incredible military that's ever existed on the planet right now, the most capable, the most trained, the most volunteer, uh, exclusively volunteer military. And, um, and I'm just so proud of these young men and women that are, that are coming in to serve their country and it's, it's their character. That's the thing. It's the men and women to my left and right everywhere that I look. I'm just, I'm so humbled by their selflessness and their honor and their integrity and their hard work and their discipline. It's just like, what badasses, just what freaks. Nice. <laughs> You're not wrong, like people who get in there, especially if they're volunteering, they've, they've, as I said before, anyone that joins the army has balls, but if you're volunteering, you're, you're a special kind of person with big, massive cojones. But here, uh, yeah, last question. Robert ZC asks, please ask Tim if he would do one more season of Hunting Hitler. Funny that after you were speaking about it. And what he felt with all the information he was revealing in every new episode he recorded. Much, re much respect for you, Tim. Greetings from an Ecuadorian in Florida. Nice. Oh, man. So we were doing another season of Hunting Hitler. And we were going to go to Russia. And we were going to look at the, the supposed remains of Hitler. Um, we also know that a bunch of Nazis went to North Africa and the Middle East. And they helped found the Mujahideen, which later came, which was the which was the premiere and the, the genesis of all extreme radical terrorism as we know it today. Um, you can all stem back to the Muj. And uh, when you go back, you're like, what, what, what did Nazis and the Mujahideen have in common in 1945, 1946? Oh yeah, they wanted to kill Jews. That's right. That's what they had in common. And uh, so the networks were really scared of some of the stuff that we found. And, um, so it was not us that decided not to do it. It was the network. So you, there was, there was already getting filmed and everything and oh, then just yeah. got caught. There was so much. Cowards! Oh, They're cowards. Must... It would have been awesome. So someday, um, maybe I'll write about it. Someday, maybe we'll get to film it, dude. But like this stuff would blow your mind. Some organizations that exist today and some corporations, some of the biggest corporations on the planet, um, Operation Paperclip, we were going over and in an effort to stopping uh, communists from getting some of the most elite uh, engineers on the planet, we would do trades where like, okay, we're not going to hang you even though that you participated in killing, you know, in genocide um, if you come and help us build rockets at NASA. Like we did that. Yeah. Um, and, and I've read about stuff like that. Yeah, and I, I know it sounds so bad in 2022 for us to to have made those those decisions, but when you look back about you know what happened in with with the rise of communism, you know with, with 
East and West Berlin and how many people died at the hands of communists, you know, the millions and millions of people, you really get a grasp about why those decisions were made. Um, it doesn't make them right, but it made them necessary. And there was a lot of details about how those decisions were made. And sometimes it was like, okay, we will take you as the engineer and we will turn away and we won't look at this other group that's maybe going to go to the Middle East and help advise on how to invade Israel when Israel becomes a country. Like that happened. It's crazy. Yeah, that, crazy. That's, that, that's crazy. You can't be putting yeah. that on national television. They won't be happy. But no, I'm coming to yours, Tim, for a barbecue, for a barbecue and to talk about all this. That I, I need to come to Texas. Yes, you do. It's happening. I'm going to make you do some very Texas things, though. Just, you're going to have to buckle what, up. What, like? I'm, op- I'm open. I'm ready to do anything. Okay, awesome. Uh, guns are going to be involved because that's what we do. Um, and we're going to eat some delicious game that, uh, like, I will make you food. You're like, this is elk? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I smoked this elk for four hours before we pan-seared it in this cast iron. And you're going to be like, oh my God, this is the best thing I've ever tasted. All other food will pale in comparison from this day moving forward. I promise. I promise. That's one thing. As I've said, you mentioned it, Joe Rogan, plenty of other people mention elk meat. We don't know what elk meat is in the UK. Like, yeah, look, there's, look there, there's, there's a giant one right there. Oh yeah, that's a big head. Yeah. Big, big antlers. Yeah, he's beautiful right there. <laughs> Tim you are a legend thank you so much for coming on the podcast today I really appreciate it is there anyone that you'd like to any sponsors you'd like to give a shout out to let everyone know about your social medias your book any programs just let them know alright the, bo- the book Scars and Stripes um, read it you know drop reviews on it it's, it's, it's a wild ride though so you're going to know me in ways that you wish that you didn't um, you know I'm Tim Kennedy <laughs> MMA on all the socials and then uh, you know, we talked about Afghanistan. We're currently operating you in Ukraine on a, on the humanitarian side uh, for Save Our Allies. So if, if you're feeling generous and you want to help support an amazing organization, check out Save Our Allies. Um, they they do a, amazing work, and I'm a volunteer with them. And uh, you know, just you keep being you, Patty. Appreciate you. Keep knocking faces in and choking people out. That's the plan, Tim. That's the plan. And as I said, you're, you're a legend. Thank you very much for coming on. I really appreciate it. But there we go, people. There's another episode in the bank. Thank you very much for watching. Like, comment, subscribe. See you next week.